the creation of the art, creation of music, creation of anything these days is a lot more accessible because of technology. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintained, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. Most people know my next guest is Just Blaze. I know him as Justin Smith, my friend and old neighbor. I think that's very fitting and consistent with the kind of guy that he is, which is grounded, humble, and hungry to always work hard and learn. Just admits that it's rare for people to recognize him in public, despite the fact that he's worked with the likes of Jay-Z, Beyonce, Eminem, Rihanna, and a whole host of A-level celebrities. And that's perfectly fine with him. If you're a fan of the music industry or even just business in general, you'll enjoy this candid conversation and the breadth of topics that we discuss, from what's going on in just personal life to how the game of music has changed, why most artists don't have staying power, and of course, his approach to networking. So, with that being said, Let's get to my conversation with music producer and my friend, Just Blaze. Enjoy. Appreciate you coming on, man. Oh, anytime, anytime. Coming anytime. on, man. I appreciate it. We're going to have some fun. Yep. I know you got a lot going on, <laughs> to say the least. Understatement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, what are you working on now? What do you got going on? Life. To be honest. <laughs> Tell me about life. Life is good. Yeah. Life is just a lot happening. Yeah. You know, we... Uh, just had a you know, uh, son, Solomon, just turned a year. It went by so fast. It was like back to back to back. We sold the place, built a new house, moved in on the 13th. He was born on the 22nd. I mean, I'm sorry, the 26th. It's just been like the past year has just been like back to back to back to back. Things, all great things, all positive things, but it's just, it's a lot. Building a house, building a family. Still maintaining work. I shut down my commercial studio space a couple of years back. We're almost done with the build out from my workspace at home. Downstairs? Yeah. Well, what else needs to be done? There were room treatments that we did. And after we did that, I was waiting for a lot of the gear to come in. So now we're just doing the acoustic treatment. How do you like working from home? No, it's great. I mean, I've always had some sort of a workspace at home. Yeah. But the way it's set up now, it's great because when I don't want to... It's different working from home when you live in an apartment. Versus when you have a multi-floor house. When you're in an apartment, you're kind of waking up next to your work. When you have a house, you can just say, all right, I'm closing that door and I'm going back to regular life. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. You need that separation. I used to hate working from home, but that was when I had an apartment, just a small space. Everything was within proximity of each other. Yeah. Especially when I was younger, when we didn't have much money, I lived in a studio apartment. I was like waking up next to the drum machine. <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you, don't, yeah. you want to have that separate. You got to work right. Uh, yeah, separate church and state. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, do you have to have people over your home, or is a lot of your work just independent? A lot of my work is it's a combination of both. Sometimes I'll have people over to the house. You see, the great thing is we have a separate entrance. Everybody, oh, you do where? Yeah, the through the garage. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So through the garage, you can just go right into the uh, lower level where the studio spaces and the lounge spaces. I don't have to have you in my house to work. Yeah. There are certain people that I work with that I don't mind having in the house. There are others that I wouldn't have in the house, not because they're bad people, but because they may travel with a large 
crew people. Yeah. So in that case, we just rent a commercial space. But like, I've had like T.I. was at the house a few weeks ago. We were working. It was just him and his security. Not even his security. Him and uh, one driver. His driver who was actually turns out was, a, was an old friend of mine. It's a small world. Yeah, it really is. We worked at the house for a few hours and went on his way. And it's, it's the beauty of the way technology is these days is that you can... I'll give you a perfect example. I have a friend who has a record that sold 5 million copies. Wrote it and recorded it in his bedroom in his underwear. How great is that? And it's like the way technology has changed for musicians and producers and engineers. Things that used to cost us tens of thousands of dollars now cost nothing. The fact of the matter is, is you can write, record, produce, mix and master the entire album in your bedroom. But does that hinder what you do because it's made it cheaper? So have you had to lower your prices? No. Or no? Or is it kind of weeded out a lot of people and only the... It's a gift and a curse because what happens is the creation of the art, creation of music, creation of anything these days is a lot more accessible because of technology. The same way I can make a record in my bedroom, somebody could shoot a movie on an iPhone. There are movies that are released in theaters that are being shot on iPhones. Oh, really? Yeah. There's like two of them that have come out. I forget the names. But even if you're not going the iPhone route, you know, you can get yourself a Canon C100 or, you know, for six grand, seven grand, whatever it costs. Point is, technology has made it very easy to be creative. Yeah. The gift of that is, is people who don't come from a lot of money or don't have a lot of money can still have access to quality professional Level tools. Level in the playing field. Right. The bad part is that you have a lot of people who have no business making music <laughs> or they're not artists. People who have no business doing that, yeah. attempting to do it. But I'm a firm believer in clean rises to the top yeah. one way or another. And it is good to have a level playing field. You know, everybody has the same shot and the same opportunity, so to speak. So technology has made it great and this way you can kind of be on your own and do all these things that used to take a collaborative effort. Right. How do you see from the social side of things? What's the pro? Or so we understand the pro. Right. What's the con and how does the it relate to The con to that yeah. is because there's less contact between the people in my world, that natural synergy that comes about from having everybody in one room shooting creative ideas back and forth gets kind of lost. There is something to be said for like the producer, the songwriter, the engineer, the artist, they'll all be in the same room together and kind of coming together to make the best product possible. You don't get that same creative synergy when you're emailing files back and forth. Don't get me wrong, it's great that I can collaborate with somebody in the UK via email and texting and shooting files back and forth, but there's an irreplaceable synergy that comes about when you have a group of people in the room all working on one thing together. Yeah. Do you still, is it, it's not happening as often? Yeah, no, I mean, it just doesn't happen as often because yeah. it is, it's not to say that like I'm isolated in my house and I don't work with anybody. Like I said, artists come by the house all the time, but it happens less often because it's less necessary yeah. from a technical standpoint. It used to be like, if I was working on a record for somebody, I had to go to a studio and track the music and lay it down. The artist was coming to the session if they were in town. And the A&R is stopping by. But there's just that camaraderie and community. Now it's just like, yo, email me a link <laughs> yeah. to download, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, download the record. How important have relationships been to your success? Well, relationships are everything. I was just speaking at a uh, conference um, this past weekend in Toronto. And they were um, asking me about advice for younger producers and songwriters and just people in the business in general. My main point that I was trying to hammer home was relationship is everything. 
when you're the new hot young producer or writer or artist or you know any facet of that in my world, people are gonna flock to you regardless because you're hot right now. When the next person comes in, you're not the hot kid on the block. The work you get is determined by the relationships that you forge mm. and the experiences that people have had with you. There are times when I've had seven records on the radio at once, three records in the top 20, five records in the top 40. And there are times where I've had nothing going on of that magnitude, but I was still able to work and still do work on cool and creative projects because I've always done good business and I've always tried to make working with me a pleasurable experience, a fun creative experience. I'll give you a perfect example. Fox did a, a rebooted the A-Team maybe seven or eight years ago. They had the, A-Team, like VA uh, Baraka's yeah, A-Team? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. The movie that came out, yeah, I think yeah. you remember, there was a movie that came out. Right. So they needed a remix of the theme. They wanted to make it a bit more modern. The movie had already been shot. The marketing had already been done. So they didn't really have much money left to put towards remixing the theme. They give me a call. There were just the mutual friends that were involved. They called me. They were like, listen, you know, we'd like you to take a crack at the theme. Problem is we don't have a lot of money. It's a, kind of a last minute afterthought, but we think it's something that we should really do. You're one of the guys that really would like to take a shot at it. And it wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't a chunk change, but it wasn't what I would normally get for something like that. Like, you know what? Sure. No problem. Got it done. Did the remix. They loved it. They shot a bunch of additional content around the theme that I did. And then we all went on our way, and that was done. Fast forward about three years later, I get a call from a guy that dealt with that Fox. Like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. My name is Martin. We worked on uh, this 18 thing. I'm like, yeah, of course I remember you. What's going on? So he's like, so you ever heard of Ice Age, the, the Ice Age movies? And I'm like, of course. Like, the, I've seen them in the theaters. And he's like, so we're working on that now. I think it was Ice Age 4. And we were thinking of some musical content that we need for the movie. And your name came up. And he was like, I was in a meeting and I guess one of the VPs was like, who's that guy, Justin something, whatever, that did the A-team thing? And we're like, oh, Just Blaze, boom. Yeah, get that guy. And it was really because the favorite for them looked out, did the A-team thing for next to nothing, gave them a quality product, made the uh, experience worthwhile and easy. And next thing I know, I'm getting a call three years later based on that favor that I did to work on something with a real actual budget. Had I just taken the route, a lot of people would have taken, like, you want me to do this 18 thing for how much? No, no, I'm worth more than that. You have to know when to hold your ground in terms of what you're worth and when to do that favor for somebody because it may be worth so much more. That long game. Exactly. And that said, I don't always necessarily go into things thinking, what can I get out of this? Because that's not a good way to approach it. You know what I mean? You should look at it as... If I can do something for somebody, I will. If I get blessed in return down the line, great. But I don't do it with the intention of, oh, now you're going to owe me a favor, so I'll do this for you. So is this something that you learned on your own? Or I mean, I know your mom, and she's great, right. so I know that had this. there's got to be some major influence there. Yeah, yeah so, that was something know. my mom definitely instilled from an early age. Like Her thing was always, was always the do unto others, as you'd have them do to you. That's kind of like one of our big cardinal rules. So... Would you say that your industry, though, is like that? No. Yeah. I don't think any industry where there's a lot of money involved is like that at all. You know, it's a very cutthroat business. Yeah, and, um, you, and you've dealt with the top, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... Interesting thing, though, the further up, the closer to the top you get, the easier it is because 
most of those people are already successful and they're secure. You hit the nail. I call it the security mindset versus abundance versus lack of abundance. Right. People almost look at it backwards. They're like, oh, there's those superstars. There must be so much drama. And I'm like, no, it's actually super easy. They know what they're worth. They know what they bring to the table. They know what you're bringing to the table. That's why they hired you. That's why they want to work with you. And there's no insecurities there that it just, it's very different. I always tell people the hardest artists that I had to work with are the ones who really haven't made it yet. Or the ones who have just made it, but haven't done it three or four five, six times over yet. Yeah. So interesting. I was with a friend of mine the other day and he worked for MTV for years and he says he'll never forget. This is an ongoing MTV thing that they talk about. So right. they're interviewing Christina Aguilera. They interview her and this was going to be her first time on MTV. And they said, oh, would you like a water? And they handed her water. And what she did is she turned and she put the water up like that to have somebody open the water. And they're like, wow, okay. The next person that came in was Tony Bennett. You know who Tony Bennett is. I mean, world class, right. everybody knows. The guy's been around. They said before he even sat down, Tony Bennett walked around, shook everybody's hand, patted them on the back, asked them a little bit about who they were, what exactly. they were like. That's exactly what I'm talking and, about. And when they offered him water, the person that was interviewing him was having trouble with their bottle. Right. Tony reaches over. And opens the bottle for him. And opens the bottle. That's exactly my point. Yeah. It's... There's something that comes along with the security and knowing how to treat people. And a lot of people don't realize that. It's like, it takes more energy to be a jerk. Yeah. And when you're that successful in your life, financially, as a person, whatever, there's really just not that much to be pretentious about. Mm. And I've seen so many people, I was fortunate, I've seen so many people fall from grace because I used to intern at a recording studio. So I used to see the cycles how the people came and went and came and went. And the ones who were the cocky ones, who just felt like they were better than anybody else, in various walks of the industry, I just kind of watched them come and go, come and go, come and go. The ones who knew how to treat people fairly or treat them like people, regardless of their stature or their position, are the ones who always kind of just find a way to exist in the mix. Mm -hmm. I think I can boil it down to one thing. This is an argument I used to have with one of my old business partners all the time. You don't want to be that person that everybody works with because they have to. You want to be the person that people work with because they want to. Because when they work with you because they have to, as soon as they don't have to... <laughs> You're out. <laughs> You're done. So have you always been grounded? So I'll tell you a funny story. Do you know how I know who you are or what no. you did? Did Brian ever tell you the story? She may have, I don't remember. Okay, so you remember where we met? The drone? Yes. Okay, yes. so my kids, there's a drone. This drone, you were early, yeah. this is years ago. Yeah, you know, yeah, drones yeah. just came out or whatever. Right. We're, I'm playing with my kids, the kids see the thing up there, we see this drone, we're following around, we're like, we'll figure out where it is. And right. It comes out, so it's you and, Whatever, so you let the kids do the drone, yeah. everyone's having fun, right. it's fun, yeah. you know, whatever. So I see you around, see you around town for, I don't know, it is probably... A couple I, months, a few months. Yeah, at least. No, actually, this is longer, so it's probably about a year. So I still, I figure you're to do, well to do, I know you're home, I see right. what you drive, whatever, but right. whatever, we never talked business or anything. Right. So I forgot what it was, Brian was over one time, 
and I had music going on. I like hip hop. Right. So yeah, she told yeah, you yeah, the yeah, story. Yeah, I remember this now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for those who don't know, I think this tells a lot about who you are. So I had, I like hip hop. Right. And hip hop doesn't always have the nicest language right. or whatever going on. So I said, and I didn't know her well. And right. I didn't know who, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I was like, let me lower the music or whatever. She goes, nah. She goes, I like that. She's like, or it says something to that effect. Right. She's like, you know who that is. And I don't know if it was Jay-Z. I forgot. I don't even know who it was. Right. And I say that. And she's like, no. She's like, that's Justin. And I'm like, I didn't understand. Right. So then she explains, don't you know who? And I'm like, no. And then she tells me. And I'm right. like, oh, that's really funny. Because I know all of your work, but didn't right. know it was you. Right. So my point is that, have you always been? That's great. Like, I'm, it's just yeah, nice to, just to kind you know, of, yeah. I prefer to kind of move under the radar. It makes life a little bit easier. It's, I used to have a term for it. I can't remember what it was. But it's like you're low-key enough to have privacy, just have a life, but you have just enough notoriety to get ahead. To get the benefit of it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the way I like to move. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be the guy that like when I show up, it's a scene, it causes or the, there's a commotion. It's got to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't like that. I'd rather just be the guy that once people find out, oh, that's who that is. All right, let's take care of them. Yeah. You yeah, know that's what I mean? nice. <laughs> yeah, just keep it low-key yeah, yeah, yeah. and. And simple, it makes life so much easier to navigate through. Have you had to deal with any privacy issues or anything? I know like when you were selling your home, you had to kind of... Uh, yeah. You didn't. It happened every once in a while. It hasn't been too bad. Because I've never really carried myself like a celebrity or a, or a superstar. If you carry yourself like a superstar, part of that is like calling attention to yourself. I don't like... Yeah, you know, I always just kind of preferred to be low-key and be able to go out and move about like a normal person. But had the benefits of my associations. It just makes life easier. I think it just also boils down to like my perspective in terms of my profession. Mm-hmm. I know I've done some great things, but I'm still learning every day. Mm. Like what kind of stuff are you learning? Yeah. I mean, just in terms of when it comes to music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still learning every day. There's new techniques. There's music is the same way. There are a zillion different combinations of numbers. Like music is math, basically, right? So if you boil it down to it, that's what it is. There's millions and millions and millions of different combinations of numbers. There's millions and millions and millions of different combinations of notes and sounds. And the second you think you know it all is the second that your career starts to, to well, well, you're on the road to uh, decline. I've always just kind of, like I said, I'm inspired by the fact that there's always something new to learn when it comes to music and production and songwriting and things like that. So when you carry yourself that way, the humility kind of comes with the territory. People always ask, well, how do you stay so grounded? But you carry yourself on because like, I'm still constantly learning things. Mm. And I love it. I'm blessed and fortunate. This is my 20th year in the business. Most producers, especially when it comes to hip-hop and electronic music in general, things of that nature, urban music, you get two or three years. You're you kidding around. me. Lifespan's that short? What do you do then after that? What is I mean, the... Make the most money that you can, cash out, and you know, whatever happens from there is what happens. If you look at the producers who were on the charts three years ago, half of them aren't there now. And that's just the way music works in general, especially now because it's so accessible. The sounds are constantly changing. Yeah. So records, the shelf life for records in terms of like popular music, it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. For me to be able to maintain relevance through different avenues over the years or for the past 20 years, like I can't take that for granted. I mean, obviously, part of it is due to my talent, but a lot of it is also due to, like I said, the moves that I made and the way I did my business. We got the three pillars are obviously the talent, mm-hmm. the adaptability, and then the social skills or right. the relationships. 
what would you say from some of the artists and the, some of the other people that you're working with? What would you same thing or? Yeah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you can kind of apply those three pillars to anything. Yeah. Whether to be honest, in any profession. Yeah, it's true. That's a good point. It's really what it comes down to. Whether you're an accountant working for somebody, whether you're an ideas guy, or whether you're a songwriter, or whatever. You kind of have to have those three things. If you weren't in music, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Likely computer programming. Yeah, because you went to school for that, right? You yeah, I mean, I was doing it before I went to school for it. You know, like, I just, I was always into just technology in general. I was a tinkerer when I was a kid. Like, I appreciated the fact that a computer could do what it does. But I was the kind of kid that wanted to know how it did what it did. How much has that curiosity contributed to your success? A ton of it. I mean, you got to realize, like I said before, music is numbers. When we're programming music, we're coding. We're not coding something that you visually see on the screen. It's something that you hear. But there's so many parallels between computer programming and coding and writing songs and production. It kind of all goes hand in hand. And the technology, I think my curiosity in regards to technology is what led me at a very, very young age to like, all right, I hear this music on the radio. I want to know how it's being made. Mm. What are they using to do this? Me having access to certain small things, like my dad was a jazz organist. So he had his organs and pianos in the house, but then he also had synthesizers and keyboards and things like that. And then he was also a computer programmer. So... I was kind it's all of coming together. Right. So I was, I was around okay. all of that. Yeah. At a time when music technology was rapidly evolving, those two worlds of mine, you know, between the music and the technology, ended up coalescing into me wanting to make music and learning how to DJ and things of that nature. Fast forward 30 years later, here we are. Yeah, that's great. Who have been some of the best people that you've worked with? And what's made, sorry, the follow up, and what's made them so good to work with? I've been fortunate and blessed to work with a lot of great artists. From people like Jay-Z, Beyonce, Eminem, Drake, Lil Wayne, Foster Rhymes, the list goes on and on. I've been blessed to work with a bunch of huge names, but going back to what we were saying earlier, people always ask me, who's some of your favorites to work with, whatever, and I'm like, yo, don't get me wrong, people have bad days or off days or whatever, but I don't really have any nightmare sessions. I never really had like extreme difficulty with an artist, because most of the artists that I work with were very successful. So some songs are be a little bit of a struggle here or there. Well, it's not a personal struggle. It's more so a creative struggle. Like, so, so, how do we get from point A to point B? The reason I say all that is to say, like, I don't necessarily have, because I haven't really had a bunch of bad experiences, I don't necessarily have favorites. So it's really interesting. And so we have a mutual friend. I'm not going to say who that mm -hmm. person is. And they do what you do. Right. And they don't have any personal relationships with their clients. And they've got some big clients, too. Right. But they don't have any personal relationships. And I know you have personal relationships with these people because... Right. But, you I, know, I think, for me, a lot of times when I work with an artist, my approach is, let's just hang out. Yeah. Because you could have a great producer, a great songwriter, a great artist. It doesn't mean they're going to make a great product. There has to be a commodity there and an energy there as well. So do you hang out first and then get to work? Or you just, yeah, is I kind of like, like, try. Just and that's the thing. Like, I kind of try to treat my sessions like hanging out. Yeah. As much as possible. Like the music will come. Let's just kick it. In my experience, my best records have happened spontaneously. Where lightning strikes, and all of a sudden it's just, all right, boom, let's build on that idea. When you walk into the studio with this mission of, we're going to make a hit single today. 
It's not going to happen, huh? No, it's like, it's like the guy who wakes up and says, I'm going to write a book that's going to change the world. No, it's yeah. I'm going to write this song that changes the world. No, it's like, it doesn't work like that. We'll rejoin our conversation in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast as well as our other episodes, please support us using Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash networkwise. Thanks for listening, and now let's rejoin the show. What's the life cycle of a song? For me, it's it can start anywhere. I can be inspired by another song that I heard. I can be inspired by emotion. Initial inspiration can come from anywhere. Chord progression that just pops into your head. But for me, in my experience, if I spend more than 15, 20 minutes getting that initial idea out, I move on. Interesting. And then do you come up with the idea, find the artists, or the artists are like, hey, you it's know, all, I've worked it's, with... It's always different. There's no okay, formula yeah. to it. Okay. There are times when the artist has come to me and said, hey, listen, I have an idea for a hook. It goes like this. And they sing it, or they rap it, or whatever. Then you have some artists who are just like, I have this dance that I do. I need something to go along with that dance. Oh, it runs the gamut. Yeah. Or you have an artist who says, I don't know what I want. Just play something for me. And then will you have riffs set up? or Sometimes, like, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or I'll just make, you know, like I said, like I said, there's literally no formula. It's, we're all just vessels for creative energy that comes through us. You know, sometimes the right lightning strikes or the right energy flows through us and, we, and you have a hit record. And then do you ever make connections like, oh, hey, Jay-Z, you need to talk to such and such because you guys are on the same idea. You guys have the same type of riff or you know that people would, yeah, would no. coalesce well. Yeah, sometimes it's not even about like, I actually do that a lot. And it's not from my own personal gain. I'm just like, wait a minute. You do this and you do this. You guys need to know each other. Yeah. How do you go about making that introduction? That's something people really, a lot of people struggle with. I hear it all the time. Like, oh, I know that they should meet. And whether they're afraid one person's not going to respond to the other. How do you facilitate that introduction? I just go group text, intro. Yeah. You know, oh, that's it. And just let it run? Or do you facilitate it? Do you spoon feed it? Yeah, I tend to just say, listen, this is why... I'm going to introduce you to this person, and this is why you need to know them, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you lay it out there. Do you, do you mind if I put you guys in the group text? No? All right, cool. Let's do it. Double opt-in. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I actually do do a lot of uh, dot connecting. For me, it's about, like, when we're in the studio, right, sometimes people will be hesitant to do something if it doesn't benefit them directly. One of the things that I've learned over the years is you just do whatever is best for the sake of the song. Whether it's something, if that means cutting your share down because there's a co-producer or a co-writer who you know will kill a part of a song and you can make it great, you have to do that. Here's the thing, all right, like, let's just say we have this record that has a potential, as it stands right now, potentially could sell half a million copies. I'm, I'm just making up a situation. Sure, yeah. And I want to own 100% of it. But there's another writer who I know could maybe kill the bridge section and add some extra stuff to the hook. I might have to give them 25% of the record, but then it has the potential to sell 5 million as opposed to 500,000. I'm in. <laughs> right, but that's the thing is that some people can't see the forest for the trees. So it's like... Greed, scarcity, what do you think, sir? You know? Yeah, it's just it's greed. Yeah. Or just being unwilling to share credit with somebody else. There'll be those two to three year people you're talking about. Right, yeah, and it's just like, dude, do what's best for the sake of the record. If adding this person onto it cuts a bit of your take, but it adds that much more to the record. It makes it that much more of a better record. 
then just do it. And more people will listen to it, more people hear it, you get more broader notoriety. Exactly, end up making more money. It's like, do you want 100% of $100 or 80% of $1,000? I'm in. <laughs> that's a no-brainer to me. What's the nicest thing someone's ever done for you outside of a family member? That's a hard. That's a that's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. And I've actually had a. It's interesting now because I'm at that point in my career where people can say to me, "I grew up on your music." That's what starts to hit you. Like, oh wow, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years. If this person was in high school, you know, in 2001, wow, yeah, they did grow up on my music. Um, I told you, Daiquiri's. Her cousin's husband. Hi, if you're watching, or hopefully, I'm sure you will after I tell him this. His password for, and I'm sorry for blowing your uh, password, was just Blaze. That's funny. Yeah, in high school. That right. was his password to, I forgot to get into his computer or whatever, right, 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 whatever right. it was. Right. So, yeah. yeah you got any of those? Like, that you... That's what I was going to say. It's like when you have been this part of the soundtrack of people's lives, people do a lot of nice things for you. Yeah. I can't think of like, one in particular off the bat, off the top of my head. Like, I remember uh, the early days of social media. I was really homesick, and I wanted, there was a pizza place called uh, Tarmino's in Patterson, where I grew up. This is when I was living in Manhattan, downtown. And I must have said something on MySpace or Twitter. MySpace, wow. Might have been MySpace. Ago, yes. Might have been MySpace that I, oh, Miss Tarmino's pizza, and I wanted some. Within an hour, one of my followers brought me some Tarmino's pizza. No strings attached. Didn't want anything for it. Just like, yo, thank you for everything you've done. That's you know? pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I mean, not that's not the nicest thing somebody's done for me, but it's just... Just a thoughtful... Yeah, just like I said, I have a lot of moments like that in my life, and it kind of bugs me out. Because I think sometimes we forget, as we go out in our daily lives, we forget the impact that we've had on people. Yeah. Are you big in social media? Yeah, I, I run all my own social media. You um, do it yourself? You do it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then what platforms are you... Mostly just... Not MySpace. No. <laughs> no. It's funny, I actually tried to log into my MySpace the it's other day. It's still around? Yeah, MySpace. Yeah, I think, uh, didn't like Justin Timberlake buy into it in 2011 oh, I, oh, or something I don't know. like that? No, I yeah. I mean, it was supposed to, I don't know why it didn't go. I mean, it was supposed to be the big yeah. thing. And then I guess Facebook or... You know. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, those were the early days. And Tom made a bunch of money. Remember Tom from MySpace? He was like your first friend. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but so what, what did Timberlake, why did he, what was his reason for, I, he's I, a talent, have you ever worked with him? No, I've actually never worked talented with him. Talented guy. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But yeah, no, so um, I'm mostly on Instagram and Twitter. I never got into the Snapchat thing. Yeah, me neither. And then I have like a Facebook fan page. Where's the line between keeping the family guarded to sharing? Because like you said, you're someone delivered a pizza, like I'd be... And then how do you deal with this? So I am nothing, but I have people that call to get on this show. Yeah. And I have get people that reach out. And, and so some of the things that I deal with, and I'm thinking, my God, a guy called me drunk the other yeah. day, telling me, harassing me, literally harassing me for a while. And I was like, well, I was like, what's the benefit? What'd you call for? Right. And I'm thinking, man, here... So how do you deal with this kind of stuff? Like, how do you deal? Like, people knew where you lived. Like, how do you, um, and, you know, if they get access to you, that's got yeah, to be scary, too. Yeah, like, yeah, you have to keep your access limited. The guy that bought me the pizza, it turned out, was like a friend of a friend. Okay. He worked for a friend of mine. Gotcha. You know, so it wasn't like a total stranger pulled up to my house. I also think I maybe met him down the block from the house, just in case, regardless. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a very touchy subject. I have a phone number and email that does go directly to me 
that is for those situations. But it's, I keep it separate so I can turn it off when I want to, turn it on when I want to check it. Because yeah. here's the thing, you, you never know who you're going to meet, who you're going to come across. You may come across the next big thing. You don't want to necessarily give them the keys to the castle and have, let them have all your personal information. But maybe you want to give them a way to reach you. So it's like, hey, this is an email. What I tend to do in, in my situation, people want to send me music most of the time or play me music. So I just say, hey, listen, I'm not going to stop and listen to it right now. Email to this address. It goes directly to me. Every couple of weeks, I take listens to music from that email. I'll log in and just listen to people's demos for a while. If something tickles my fancy, great. How do you know? Like, what is it? Did people just sending you hip hop related stuff, or do you ever get other no, it's genres? No, it's all types are, of stuff. Yeah. I mean, what are you looking for or listening for? I should say. Good music. I don't care what genre it is. If it's good, it's good. Ultimately, if it moves me, that's all that matters. And when I say move, I don't mean physically. Like it doesn't mean it doesn't have to be something that I can dance to. How it much? just has to stir something inside you. And how often have you ever had a song that you've heard once that you're like, that doesn't do it for you, but then you'll give it another chance and it does? Or are you just like you go with your gut, you hear it one time, and ah, that's it because you get so because it's so much flow comes to you. Every situation is different. There are songs where like you hear it the first time right away, you know it's it. To be honest, I'm pretty much like a one shot kind of guy. Mm. Like. Don't get me wrong, there are records that I wasn't crazy about that ended up becoming hits, but that's because everybody's ear was different. But like, I generally know within 20 to 30 seconds of a song. Wow, so they got that's, that's the window. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll listen to it more than that, yeah, but, yeah. but, but like, but you 20, know, you'll know. But like 20 to 30 seconds, and I can kind of tell where the song's gonna go. How much weight will the song carry dependent upon who gives it to you versus the random person that sends something to you online versus. Whoever, someone that you've worked with before. I mean, right there's the obviously, if it comes from somebody whose ears I respect, I'm going to be more apt to listen to yeah. it. But there's something to be said about that chance moment of somebody just randomly handing you a demo. Has that ever happened? And that you, you just happen to take a listen and you're like, oh my, yeah. It has. Oh, really? Yeah. And it blows you away. There's no rhyme nor reason to any of this stuff anymore at all because the playing field is so level. Interesting. Anybody can buy like, you can buy a $300 iPad Mini 4 and make a record in your kitchen from start to finish. It's a great time to be a creative. One of the things that I always tell people, it's a great time to be 10 years old. Because that's around the time that you start to figure out who you are, what you want, and the possibilities are just endless. But yeah, back to what what you were asking me, because the technology and the tools for creativity are so accessible these days. There are people who had musical talent who didn't even know it. I've met people who have played music that blew me away. And I'm like, yo, how long have you been writing? How long have you been doing this, huh? Six months. Come on. Also, I mean, we have a lot more, think about it, like, we're in a similar age group. If you wanted to make a record, say like in the 80s and 90s, that was an investment. It was a very heavy investment. It was somebody was paying for studio time. Somebody was paying for gear and equipment and tapes and everything else. If you were trying to go for professional quality, that's not the case anymore. It's, it's you make it on your phone. Okay, but so I think, or at least in your humble opinion, I feel like, okay, so the playing field is leveled, but there's a lot of noise. Right. So how do you stand out? Well, so that's the thing what I was going to say is with the playing field being so level and everybody having the accessibility, there's always that chance that somebody could hand you something that would change your life, along with changing theirs, you know what I mean? That's why I try to listen to it all. But again, I do know within like 30 or 40 seconds whether I'm gonna like something or not. But one thing that I've always believed is that good music finds its way out. 
one way or another. So in regards to what you were asking me about like seeing through the noise, there's so many stories that I have of records that I produced or wrote that I intended for one artist. And for whatever reason, that artist wasn't into the idea, passed on it. It goes to another artist, ends up being number one record and selling five million copies. Oh, how bummed is that other artist? You know, you but, know? but see, but here's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but here's the thing. If that first artist had recorded it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it would have been the same record. Good point. And that's, that's why a lot of times when artists are into an idea that I give them, I don't sweat it because it's like... It Can't force it? Yeah, it might not be a bad idea. It just might not be the right idea for you. How many variables go into the success of an album or, or just even just a song? The game is very different now. Radio doesn't matter the way that it used to. Mm. These days, it's more so about streaming playlists or playlists on streaming services, internet presence, social media presence, viral video presence. Yeah, so like, I feel like there's so many. You go to a, you know, one of these underground places and you see, so you can hear some really good music. Why doesn't a lot of that music, in my opinion, and I think I have a pretty decent ear, I listen mm -hmm. to a lot of different music, really doesn't make it out, but some, a lot of the stuff that's on mainstream that I'm pretty disappointed in. And I'm yeah. like, this isn't, these aren't artists, these aren't. Yeah, because we're in the age of analytics. Yeah. Just to give you a, a breakdown in terms of what I mean, it used to be an A&R or somebody from a label discovers an artist, finds an artist, they may have some things going on for them, they may not, but they look, they see the talent. We need that person, we need to sign, we need to sign this person. They bring them in, they groom them, get them with producers, get them with writers, vocal coaching, stage coaching, media training. Yeah, they um, invest in them. They're cultivating and shaping an artist from the raw talent that they saw. Gotcha. Now so it's, they're, all, they're invested. Right. <laughs> now it's, oh, you're an artist? All right, how many views do you have on YouTube? How many streams do you have on Spotify? Like, you kind of have to already have done a lot of the work yourself. Labels are, these days aren't as apt to want to develop an artist. Hmm. They just want to chase the next big thing that's coming. Because, like I said, the turnover rate is so high these days. You know what I mean? Yeah, two to three years. What, what's a singer's turnover? What is that? Is I that... mean, it depends. I mean, there's, like I said, we're seeing a lot more one-hit wonders. We're kind of almost back in the 80s. Or, we're, we're, Past the predicts the future, wonders. yeah. Yeah. We're definitely in a singles-driven market again. And remember, the artists didn't always make albums. If you go back to like the 50s, 60s, artists just put out a song on 45. And then they just consistently put out singles. The album didn't come into play until a bit later. What's the benefit? Well, because it's like, from a financial standpoint, it's like, all right, I don't have to commit to marketing a whole album for, for you. I can just, you have this one song that's working well in your area, and people in your neighborhood love it. I'm gonna take it, sign it, make it a hit worldwide. And then I have the first right of refusal for your next single. That used to be the business model. Then LPs became the norm. Now what we're seeing is a shift back to singles and EPs. Because you have some kid who posts a video on YouTube and it goes viral. And next thing you know, it's got like a billion hits. So the label wants in on that. But they might not want in on the kid for long. They just want in on that movement. So it's like, all right, we'll give you some money for that record. And we have first right of refusal for your next song. Do you like the business side of the music or you like to stay in the creative? You can't, no musician who wants to make a living doing this can afford to just stay with the creative. You have to understand the you business. Do, yeah. Yeah, no, you can't, it's, um, it'll eat you alive. It's almost like being in a hospital. You're only gonna get what you advocate for. 
Like if you don't have somebody in your corner advocating for you, or if you're not advocating for yourself in terms of getting what you deserve and things of that nature, you're not going to get it. A record label is not going to say, hey, let's give you the best deal possible. <laughs> yeah. Whether you're a producer, songwriter, artist, whatever. No. The goal is to keep as much money for yourself as you can. And do you negotiate that? Do you have a lawyer that does that it's for you? Of, it's, it's a little yeah. bit of both. I mean, I, um, yeah, I've been doing this for, like I said, this is my 20th year. I can read a contract. My contracts don't vary that much. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, at this yeah. point in my career. Yeah. It's like these are pretty much just standards. The standards. This is my rate. This is my what. This is what I get for royalties. This is what I get for publishing. But so you get on royalties also. Not there's not just like a oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do have a lawyer for that as well. As a creative, it's cool to want to lock yourself in your world and just paint or draw or write or sing or whatever it is you do. But um, if you don't know how to monetize that, nobody's going to do it for you. Mm. So you have to understand the business the same way. I like with producers. I tell producers, you have to learn a bit of audio engineering because you're making this music, you have to know how to shape it, you have to know how to execute the sound. You can't just be, as a producer, when you hand your record off to an engineer to mix and record, he's gonna do his own take on what he thinks you want, unless you can speak his language and uh -huh. communicate the way, in a language that he understands. So even if somebody else is mixing the record, you need to learn enough about engineering so where you can communicate with the engineer. So when you're talking about engineering, so I mean, I've been in your studio, I see your stuff. Mm -hmm. What's getting built on top? Yeah, when you're done, what are they doing? The engineer's kind of like, basically, long story short, I get my record sounding ballpark to the way that I want it. Now the engineer does the tedious work, crosses the T's, dots the I's. If there's one word that's a little bit too low, he has to automate that, you know? If there's a little bit of a distortion in the sub-frequencies around 100 hertz, he's got to, Tweak that yeah. out. So he's basically taking my finished product, putting the polish on it, making sure that it's that it falls right. How, how much form. of that is ear versus looking at those? The, it's a combination of both. Okay. The reason I brought that up is we were talking about creative versus business. Creative versus right? business. It's you have to in this day and age, you do have to kind of be a machine. Just to know every aspect of your craft. You don't have to necessarily be a master of every aspect of everything that comes along with your craft. But you have to speak those languages. And then how important is it, like when I talk about like a network, I always say you got to surround yourself with the weakness of the individual, the strength of the group. Yeah. How much of that relates to... Oh, definitely. No, listen. Like know your lane. The network you surround yourself with is very important. Ultimately, you should always... I try to surround myself with people who are better than me. I know my strength. I'm a great producer. I'm a great arranger. I'm not the best musician. Like, I can hear a great piano riff or a great guitar riff, I can't necessarily play it, but I know who to get to play mm, You know what I mean? Yep, of course. So part of me being the producer is delivering that creative vision and that finished product to the label or to the client, whoever the client is. So I try to surround myself, like I said, with people who can do the things that I hear better than I can do. But you can apply that to life in general. Yep. You surround yourself with people who are doing better than you or doing things that you would like to do, learn from them. That's how you move forward. Did you have a mentor? No. Interesting. Well, I think, you know what? I Maybe take, not a formal one, or did you? Yeah, you know, I take that back. So, in terms of production, no. My running joke is that my mentor was everybody that I grew up listening to. Because I was self taught via listening. In terms of the technical side of things, I used to intern at a studio called The Cutting Room. And it was a small place. The uh, most of what I learned about engineering, I learned there. And 
staff engineers, there are guys like, I'm still friends with them to all, with them all to this day. Uh, Christos, Nasty, Ken Lewis, Dave Crafer, a few other guys. Like, they um, just basically let me sit in on their sessions and watch and learn. Because I didn't know a lot about the technical side of engineering. I knew how to make music, I knew how to make beats. I knew a little bit of how to make songs, but I didn't know how to take the whole product and, yeah. and put it together. So I think that was probably the closest thing that I ever had to a mentor was those guys just letting me sit in on their sessions what and about watch you? and learn. Is there anyone that you've kind of taken under your wing? I have. Just about everybody that I've taken under my wing has found success really? cool. one way or another. But I have to be careful with it. Because of the nature of the business that I'm in. What do you mean, giving them access, you mean? Or yes. Well, like... given, here's the thing. There's a lot of money in what I do. Along with the fact that there's a lot of money in this industry, there's a lot of misconception and preconceived notion about how the business works. And everybody kind of has their own idea of what happens in the business. I say all that to say that, like, I've had situations where I've taken people under the wing and it's gone on really well. They've gone on to do great things. I've also taken people under the wing and gotten burned. Mm. Long story short, one guy that I took under the wing, and I literally like fed him, clothed him, treated him like family, took, helped him out financially, got him a bunch of work in music, put him on a bunch of records. My company didn't take any commissions. We just felt he was talented and was trying to get him uh, on his feet. It's went on for maybe like, I don't know, five, five years or so. Oh, <laughs> long time. Yeah, like, you know, like, we really took care of you. Like, I mean, when you're in the circle, you're in the circle. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, long story short, he ended up kind of just disappearing. Pop back up trying to sue me for $5 million, claiming that I stole a song from him. Uh, you gotta love that. A yeah. song that sold 10 million copies. Just without going through the whole thing. It's too long of a story. It got thrown out. The judge enforced a settlement. And he knew that the, it was a fraudulent case. The judge got tired of seeing me in court fighting a BS case. And he was being very lenient at first, then eventually he realized, oh no, I see what this is. This is a money grab. And the judge just basically gave him enough rope to hang himself. I spent defending myself about $330,000. Come on. Can you then go recoup? No. That was the one thing the judge, the magistrate judge was like, I'm going to enforce this settlement. The only thing is you're not going to be able to, I think he barred me from being able to go after him for his legal fees. And but you just to, did that but, just to stop it, just to end it because right. it's good But here's money the thing is, he doesn't have three hundred and thirty thousand dollars, so it's like you sue somebody for your legal fees that they don't have. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. So I bring that up to say, like, about a year later or nine months later, he had the audacity to call me, and without getting to that whole conversation, my thing was I was just like, why, why? You just assumed that I had it like that, that I just had money. He's like, yeah, and I'm like. He now ruins it for the next people that you might, right. or that. And know. that's what I'm saying. That's why I have to be extra cautious. Yeah. Because, again, you I have realize some, the domino effect. You have some people who just have different notions about what happens in the music business and have preconceived notions because of the amount of money that's like, dude, no, I don't have. See, I'm sure, here's the thing the judge told me, listen, this guy's looking to get paid. He's trying to sue you for $5 million. You give him $50,000, he'll go away. I was so incensed by somebody accusing me of. Mm-hmm theft of a song that I was very indignant on some like, no, this is unacceptable. You know, I was trying to, I felt like I was doing the right thing and defending my honor. Looking back, the lawyer was right. I should have just given him $50,000 to go away. It's a whole other conversation. So what's next? What do you got going on? What's your latest and greatest project besides your home? You know? That's really 
I'm sorry, right there. No, yeah. like there's a couple of big partnerships that I'm working on in the tech industry right now that I in the tech industry. Yeah, music technology. Oh, gotcha. That I sh- can't really talk about yet. Okay, gotcha. Who are good contacts for you? Everyone has some kind of good contacts, no matter what they do in their life or in their field. Are there people? Is it the artists that are good contacts for you? Is it other producers? You know, how much cross collaboration is it? Is it the business people? I mean, the music industry, as big as it is, it's very small. Is it? So you know who you got to know. Yeah. All the more reason these relationships are so important. It really is the key to everything. I mean, like I said, just to close it out, you know, 70 to 80% of my work is really just based on relationships. That much? Yeah. Actually, no, you know what? When you really think about it, it's all relationships. All right, like in 2016, I worked on Beyonce's Lemonade Album. I landed that partially because of my talent, but she was able to access me easy because I know Jay. And the trust factor. Right, and there's, a, and there's a certain trust, trust factor, factor there because, like, she already had demo of the song done. If it wasn't me personally, like, she sent me the demo, she emailed it to me. Kind of people don't, they don't email songs. There's a certain trust factor that's there where it's like, all right, it's just, we can send this to him. Yeah. And that's just, like, one example, but, like, really... Everything that I've done really is based on a relationship that I have. I mean, think about it. Life is a series of chance meetings. How you handle those chance meetings is what determines where you end up. So true. So that's why I say ultimately it's all relationship-based. Life is just one giant game of networking and relationships. So funny. So you're, I think, how I crystallized that for me and and that's how you operate was not just from our interactions, Mm -hmm. but so... Brian is uh, 40th when you threw her party, which is, by the way, was a great party. Thanks. Yeah, so I met a bunch of people that just sitting around mm-hmm. talking, and, and so there were people that were there for, God, high school that you grew up yeah. with from, like, every phase of your life yep. were some of the people that I met. And then even, do you mind, because I'm not going to do this justice, but you ruined it for every guy there, by the way, when you, you remember you told the story of your relationship through... Oh, through the songs, yeah, yeah. Through the song. You ruined it for us, man, because every other guy is like looking at their wife or their girlfriend right. and like, yo, we're not going to be able to do this, you know? Right, right, right. You know, do you mind giving a synopsis of what you did and who you had show yeah, up? That was because, actually... And that's a perfect example, too, because then even for your birthday, yeah. when people showed up from years yeah. ago... So, like, like, one of the things that me and my wife bonded over and poked fun at each other about and whatnot was like, she loves... The Far Side's first album, uh, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side, the album that has passing me by. And I never had that album when I was younger, so I didn't get into it. I knew the singles. I didn't know the album. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, really, yeah. So my argument was I like Souls of Mischief better. So and it's more like it's the friendly argument. But then the one thing that we both bonded over was that we loved the Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth's Main Ingredient album. I like Main Ingredient much more than the first album, personally. So for her birthday, flew out a bunch of her closest friends from that same age group and from where she's from, and flew out the far side and CL Smooth to do all their classic records. Now, far side still plays on huge festivals and things like yeah. that. Like I can't afford to pay far side rates, you know, for them charge <laughs> yeah, like, charge yeah. for a festival. Yeah. But I wanted to make this happen. They're like, dude, it's you. It's and the thing is, I don't even know those guys. It was just a mutual. Oh, really? Oh. It was just a mutual respect. So that like, was from friends that validated yeah. who you were. Exactly. Well, yeah. we have mutual friends. Yeah. But they're looking at it like, yo, that's just plays. I'm looking at it like, oh, that's the far side. So it's like, all right, yeah, we're peers in that yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. So I just bought their plane tickets. Well, you know, that's all you had. To, well, I bought their plane tickets. Yeah. And then you ruined it for all guys <laughs> on how. 
You told, I'm going to stick this away, you told the story of your relationship through their songs. Yeah. I mean, that was like, so forget about that they were even there. Like, you could have, they didn't even need to be there by how well you told the story of the relationship through this song. Oh, and then, well, again, and then. To be honest, I do a lot. Did you guys film that? Did you? I hope somebody did. Are you kidding me? So you don't have that? I personally don't. I'm sure somebody does. Yeah, you gotta get that. That was yeah. No, I mean, you know what the thing is? I, I did that off the cuff. I don't even remember what I said. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I made that up as I went along. That's crazy. You're able to just do it. Yeah, I, I totally remember what I said. Really? I hope someone has that on film because the bunch of us, the guys that were sitting in the back, were like, "What? Damn him!" Wow. Know, like, yeah. At shows, I do that all the time. Like, oh, is that? I like try to find ways to make the songs make sense as I'm playing them. So instead of also thinking about all the songs that you got to play in a row, I'm trying you're to tell also story thinking the. Song, the yeah. How much practice did that take to be able to do? I've never practiced it. That's just a name. Yeah. That's a, just a thing. I, because that takes on, I DJed for a year. Right. And it was just a Saturday, everything, right. whatever. And it was hard. It was right. a really, because a bunch of things, You had first of all, you had people that just think that they want to hear the song, you know, you get that piece. Right. You know, but then you also have, you've got to think about what the flow from one song to the next. Right. And you got to build. You there's gotta, a, you there's build a lot. You're the, taking people on a journey when you're yeah, DJing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. It was really. And then some songs are two and a half minutes. Some songs right. are four. Some songs you need to cut out right. before it gets to a. Some certain, songs you only need to play certain parts of. Yeah, it. yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. It's not as easy as people think it is. People they see it on TV or on stage. They're thinking guys just playing records. And, yeah. <laughs> no, there's a whole. Yeah, and then you got people coming up to you too. Oh, so God. you got like, how are you? I try to be respectful of people. Obviously, in a lot of those situations, everybody feels like they're the only one. That, a lot of those people feel like they're the only ones that are asking you for something. <laughs> I also tend to try to not DJ in places where I'm accessible like that. Yeah, just here, yeah. Yeah. Like, if I'm within arm's reach of a random party goer, then I probably don't need to be at that party. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's... Uh, cause they, yeah, but you weren't always able to do that. You had no, to yeah, get yeah, to, yeah, you know, yeah, you had definitely, to... Definitely, definitely. But it's funny, I mean, it's like if this guy's the DJ for a reason. Let him do his job. Yeah. Now the new thing is people just put the song they want to hear in their phone and they show you their phone. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, God. Dude, uh, there's a pro and con to this technology, man. There's a, exactly. You know, man. Listen, I know you got to get out yeah. of here. Thank you for coming, my oh, friend. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. No, this was great. Let's get, do a part two sometime. I'm in. I'm in. Be careful what you commit to, man. We got this on recording. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.